If you ever thought about starting your own podcast, you should check out Riverside. Riverside is an online recording studio that lets you record podcasts and video in studio quality from anywhere. And if you click on the affiliated link in the episode description and you buy a subscription, you will also be supporting the podcast. And if you are going to start your own podcast or you just want to continue to listen to great podcasts, you're going to need headphones or speakers. If you click on the Amazon affiliated link, you can get great deals on headphones and speakers. And if you make a purchase, it will also help support the podcast. And if you ever want to read a book I have mentioned on this podcast, I now have an affiliated link for Bookshop. All the affiliated links that I mentioned will be in the episode description for this episode. This is just a reminder that this podcast has merch and a Patreon, and if you could contribute to one of those to help keep this podcast going, I would greatly appreciate it. We are almost at the end of our voyage this season. But before we drop the anchor and set foot on shore, I have one more pirate to tell you about. This pirate was born out of desperation and need, and he thrived thanks to his slickness and his connections. Ahoy! My name is Courtney Jewell, and you are listening to the 15th episode of the third season of History Shelf, a podcast about history. That proves that sometimes fact is even more interesting than fiction. Tis season three, O History Shelf, and I have titled this season, Yo-Ho, Yo-Ho, A Pirate's Life for Me. In this season be all about pirates, the pirates and scallywags that sailed the seven seas and some rivers, looking for booty as they made thar travels. Some owe these pirates came from humble beginnings, while others surprisingly came from well-to-do families. But no matter where or who they came from, they all had one thing in common. They would be pirates. And for this week, I am talking about Roberto Cofresi. Roberto was born Roberto Cofresi y Ramirez de Arellano on June 17, 1791, and he was baptized on June 27, 1791, into the Catholic Church. He came from a small seaside town called Cabarrojo in Puerto Rico. Roberto came from a noble family. Who exactly Roberto's father was is not known for certain. He could have been a German man named Franz von Koppenbrunstein, Franz changed his surname to Cofresi because it was easier for people in Puerto Rico to pronounce. Or his father could have been a man from Trieste, Italy named Francesco Cofresi. While it is not certain what his father was named or where he was from, what is for certain is who Roberto's mother was. His mother was Maria Germana Ramirez de Ariano, and she came from Cabarrojo, Puerto Rico. Roberto had a sister named Juana and two brothers named Juan Francesco and Juan Ignacio. 
Roberto lost his mother at a young age. He was only four years old when she died. It is assumed that after his mother's death that Roberto was raised by an aunt of his. Roberto's father began a relationship with a woman named Maria Sanabria after Roberto's mother died. And Roberto's father had a son with Maria Sanabria named Julian. As a kid, Roberto dreamed about life at sea, and eventually he would get a small boat named El Mosquito. But even though Roberto came from a noble family, that didn't mean that he came from a rich family. During this time, Puerto Rico was in a terrible state. The Latin American Wars of Independence had wreaked havoc on Cabo Rojo. There were no schools in the area, but Roberto's father may have gotten his children a tutor. But Roberto's level of education is a mystery. In November of 1814, Roberto's father died. At the time of his father's death, Roberto probably had no income and he was probably homeless. So it was a good thing that his father left Roberto a modest estate. On January 14th, 1815, Roberto married Juana Kretoff. Juana's father bought them a house that they moved into. The couple had two children. They had sons Juan and Francisco Matias, though both of their sons died shortly after birth. Months after moving into their house, their home burnt down. This caused them to go into debt, so they moved in with Roberto's mother-in-law, Ana Cordelia. To make some money, Roberto probably worked as a fisherman. He spent most of his time at sea, and he wasn't making much money. In 1819, Roberto was listed on a government registry as a sailor. He worked on a ship called the Ramona, and he lived in Barrio del Preblo. So, during this time in Puerto Rico's history, a lot of people were struggling. At this time, Puerto Rico was a colony of Spain. Spain had encouraged Spaniards and other Europeans to move to Puerto Rico. This was called the World Decree of Graces of 1815. This changed Puerto Rico both politically and economically. Prices started to raise, and there wasn't enough food. Desperate people do desperate things. We know that there are links between poverty and crime. I, of course, am not saying that all poor people are criminals. I'm poor. I don't live a life of crime. But we do know that survival crimes are a thing. So crime went up significantly in Puerto Rico. Roberto's desperation drove him to start a gang in San Germán that stole cattle, crops, and food. And his gang was successful. Storms and droughts happened, causing more people to starve. Unauthorized street vendors moved in and they were robbed. Then the worst got worse. On September 28, 1820, Puerto Rico was hit with a hurricane, which, you know, did not help the people that were already struggling, and it caused even more people to struggle, so crime went up even more. Puerto Rico's governor, Gonzalez Arostegui Herrera, responded to the increase in crime by pushing authorities to crack down on crime. 
On November 22nd, 1820, it is a possibility that Roberta was involved in a highway robbery of Francesco de Riviera, Nicolas Valdez, and Francesca Lamboy on the outskirts of Yalco. So you can see how he was steadily working his way up to becoming a pirate. This highway robbery sparked a lot of outrage, and the governor started to believe that authorities were working with criminals. Roberto's friend, Bernardo Pavon de Villa, was assigned to find the robbers, and he protected his friend. It was bros looking after bros. But some people were arrested. One of those was a nobleman named Juan Gerardo Bay. Juan ratted out Roberto and testified that Roberto was a leader of a gang. The government made wanted posters for Roberto, and in July of 1821, he was arrested. Juan then escaped and became a fugitive. Roberto was found guilty, and he was sent to prison. Juana, Roberto's wife, was pregnant with their only daughter, Bernadina, when Roberto was sent to prison. On August 17, 1821, Juana gave birth to Bernadina, and because Roberto was a nobleman, he was allowed to leave prison for the birth of his daughter. Of course, Roberto used that to escape. Well, at least that is one theory. Other theories are that he just escaped prison or he was released on parole. But no matter how he got out, he did get out. It's not really known how he was able to remain hidden, but it probably was because Roberto was so well-connected. A lot of his family held public offices, and also authorities were involved in criminal activity themselves, so he probably just hid in plain sight in Cabo Rojo. And he would meet Juana in secret, so his wife stuck by him even though he was a wanted man. In 1823, to probably avoid authorities, Roberto joined the crew on the Corsair El Cipion. Historians have speculated that this was what got him into piracy. Seeing the life of a privateer had an impact on him. And then the lack of privateer work pushed him into piracy. It feels like up until this point, everything was pushing Roberto towards piracy. It almost feels like that it was unavoidable. Not that I'm okaying piracy, but I like that this season we have got to discover how and why these pirates became pirates. El Cipion would fly a flag of Colombia so other ships on the open sea wouldn't be cautious of the ship and El Cipion could easily attack them. This is something that Roberto did when he later became a pirate. They attacked the British ship the Aurora and the American ship the Otter. The latter resulted in a lawsuit and that affected the crew's pay and caused them to have a lack of work. So early 1823, Roberto became a pirate and he was really the last big pirate of the Caribbean. He plundered at least eight ships and he captured over 70. Roberto did not have a set of codes, so I guess you didn't risk decapitation if you were caught having consensual sex on the ship like with Jung Mi Sao, and I guess they didn't have a lights out rule after 8 p.m. like Bartholomew Roberts had. The only rule that Roberto had was when they attacked a vessel, 
the members of the crew had two choices. They could join his crew, or they could die. This rule, plus added with the fact that Roberto came from a noble family, made his network huge. On June 12, 1823, Roberto attacked a ship that was loaded with coffee. He made the ship sail to a small island called Isla de Mona, and then the captain and crew had to unload all of the cargo. After they unloaded all the cargo, the pirates killed them, and then they sunk their ship. Roberto made this operation a family affair. He got his two brothers to join in, but they didn't go out to sea with him. They moved cargo for him, and his brother Juan Francesco worked at a port, and so he was able to get Roberto information like what ships were heading out, where were they going, and what kind of cargo they had. And having contacts on land helped Roberto become so successful. But Roberto did not just keep all of this treasure for himself. He shared it with the people of Puerto Rico, especially his family and friends. He only attacked the rich. He only took from Spain, Colombia, the UK, the US, Denmark, and France. There was this one incident where Roberto attacked a ship that had a 15-year-old boy named Pedro Geronimo Goico on it. Roberto asked Pedro who his parents were, and when he found out that he knew the boy's father, he had the pirates turn the ship around and he let the boy safely off at the beach. So, if Roberto knew you and you were on his side, then you were safe. Because he stole from the rich to give to the poor, he was considered a Robin Hood. So that is the second pirate this season that was compared to Robin Hood. The first was Samuel Bellamy. Roberto sold some of the loot that he got to local merchants so they could resell some of the products for a profit. Roberto was hard for authorities to catch because he actually didn't like to fight. He preferred to run. He was able to do this with his fast six-gun sloop named the Anna. On October 28, 1823, he robbed a ship and fishing boats in the harbor of Politeus. He got 800 pesos. He then attacked a fellow pirate named Manuel Lampiara. Manuel was connected to a British pirate named Samuel McMoran. That week, Roberto was really busy because he also captured the John. That was an American ship. From that ship, he stole $1,000, tobacco, tar, and other provisions. Roberto threatened to kill everyone on the John if they went to Puerto Rico, but they went anyways and they reported him. A new mayor took office in Cabo Rojo named Juan Fonti Soler. Juan wanted to find Roberto and bring him to justice, but like the people before him that wanted this, he was finding it difficult because Roberto had so many people on his side. Roberto had to be charismatic. I mean, I'm sure the fact that he was a noble and the fact that he helped people that were struggling really worked in his favor, but to get that many people behind you, you have to have at least some kind of charisma. Because people kept looking for him, Roberto had to move his base of operations to Mona in late 1823. According to another pirate named Yemi Marquez, Roberto had the sailors of the ship 
El Cipion take the ship for him. That ship eventually ended up at the bottom of the ocean, full of treasure. Roberto sunk the ship to avoid being captured by the Spanish. The sinking ship created a diversion, and Roberto was able to row away to shore where the Spanish could not get him. The ship and its treasure have yet to be found to this day. So, like I said earlier, Roberto attacked foreign ships. So, other nations, not just Puerto Rico, wanted Roberto captured. The U.S. Secretary of State, John Quincy Adams, was alerted about Roberto. Spain, Colombia, and the British wanted Roberto. So, an international manhunt started. Spain wanted to put an end to Roberto because he was flying the Spanish flag while he was attacking foreign ships. So, other countries were getting pissed at Spain. So, the Spanish appointed Governor of Puerto Rico, Lieutenant General Miguel Luciano de la Torre y Pando, made the hunt for Roberto a priority. In December of 1823, Colombia sent warships to Mona Passage to help find Roberto, and Britain had sent the HMS Scout to the area after, on November 23, 1823, Roberto took an American ship called the William Henry. On July 23, 1824, Miguel, the governor of Puerto Rico, ordered that pirates to be tried in a military tribunal. He offered up medals, certificates, and even silver and gold to anyone that helped bring in pirates, bandits, and anyone that was aiding them. This resulted in Manuel Limpiaro being caught, and that helped out Roberto because it made his crew bigger because some of Manuel's crew joined Roberto's crew after Manuel was caught. The United States then sent ships to the Mona Passage. It was as if most of the world was on the lookout for Roberto. Even though everyone and their brother were after Roberto, he still managed to attack the Bonington and the Bonnie Sophie, and apparently in both of those cases, the sailors were beaten and imprisoned. As more time went along, the angrier government officials got. Well, the ones that weren't working with Roberto did. On February 16, 1824, the governor of Puerto Rico got more aggressive in the search. He described Roberto as, quote, one of the evil ones that I am pursuing, end quote. On March 23, 1824, France then joined in the hunt of Roberto. They started searching Puerto Rico's coast for him. At this point, it was really just a big game of hide-and-seek, and Roberto was winning. In April of 1824, recon mayor Pedro Garcia authorized the sale of a vessel to Pedro Ramirez. That ship ended up being Roberto's flagship. So it was believed that Pedro Ramirez was a family member of Roberto's. Pedro Garcia ended up with sanctions and imprisonment because of the sale. And basically everyone with the last name Ramirez that was either for sure related to Roberto or they had unclear parentage were prosecuted. Every single time that authorities thought that they had located Roberto, it turned out to be a bust. On June 2nd, 1824, it was reported that Roberto and his crew broke into two houses for supplies, though now it is believed that someone was aiding them. When the Guayama mayor, Francesca Grenes, heard about this, I know I'm throwing a lot of names at you this episode, and I'm truly sorry. I hope it's not too much. 
When he heard about the break-in, he contacted the military, but they told him that they didn't have enough weapons for that mission. So, he got supplies from Pastillas, but Roberto escaped before they arrived. This was just turning into an episode of Tom and Jerry at this point. Roberto just went on attacking more ships. He attacked the Juan Jose E. Los Animas on June 9, 1824. Lieutenant Antonio Madrona launched an operation on June 17, 1824 that resulted in one of Roberto's associates to be captured. Antonio ended up finding Roberto along with his brother Juan Ignacio, his brother-in-law Juan Francesca Kreethoff, and Juan Bay. Roberto and his brother, though, escaped, but Roberto's brother-in-law and Juan Bay did not. Juan Ignacio was eventually found, though, and he was charged as being an accomplice. Authorities captured a lot of Roberto's crew and shot his second-in-command in the back on June 22, 1824. But to their disappointment, Roberto was not with his crew. He escaped on one of his ships and continued on plundering. At this point, Roberto had to feel like he was unstoppable. The mayor of Ponce, Jose Ortiz de Lorenza, joined in on the search. He commissioned gunboats, which is just what it sounds like. It's a boat that carries guns. The governor of Puerto Rico ordered that all abandoned huts and ships to be destroyed so Roberto couldn't use them. Authorities kept getting tips about where Roberto was, and those tips would lead them to pirates, but not to the pirates they were looking for. On July 6, 1824, even more of Roberto's associates were arrested. Even though at this point Roberto's crew was nothing like it once was, they still managed to take the Sosa Maria on August 5, 1824. They didn't plunder that ship, though because they saw a bigger ship, the Voyador. So they went after that ship. When they caught up to her, Roberto only asked the captain for information, though. I'm not sure what on. Roberto attacked the Danish sloop Jordic Troll on September 3rd, 1824. So then the Dutch joined in on the hunt. So to recap, Puerto Rico, Spain, Colombia, Britain, America, France, and now the Dutch were all looking for Roberto. On September 8th through September 9th, Roberto and his crew got caught in a hurricane. That sent them towards Española. They drifted to Santo Domingo, where they were captured. They were sentenced to six years in prison, but... If you think that is where Roberto's story ends, you would be wrong. Roberto and his crew escaped, but they were recaptured. So they escaped again. They broke the locks on their cells and they climbed down the prison walls on a stormy night using a rope made out of clothing. They bought a ship in San Pedro de Marcales and they made their way to Biex, where they set up their new base. In October of 1824, members of Manuel Limpiaro's crew broke out of prison and joined Roberto's crew, so his crew was growing again. 
to know the state of all of these prisons because I feel like everyone in this story has broken out of prison at least once by this point. On January 25th, 1825, Roberto attacks the Grampus and its captain, John D. Sloat, attacked back. But again, Roberto avoided capture. Roberto then robbed a house and attacked the Spanish ship San Vicenza. The ship got away, but barely. On February 10th, 1825, he took the Neptune. The second in command of the ship got shot before Roberto sailed away with the ship. But to my knowledge, the guy lived because he was able to identify Roberto as being the one that attacked him. The Royama mayor doubled his patrol. Roberto's associate Hernandez Morales was caught and sentenced to death. But don't worry, he escaped prison because everybody in this story escaped prison. On February 12, 1825, the pirates set fire to a town on the island in retaliation for Hernandez's arrest. Roberto plundered a few more ships and then abandoned them. On February 15, 1825, Roberto took the ship the Anne from a John Lowe. Roberto forced all of its crew to jump into the ocean. Roberto took $20 from John's pockets before he made him walk the plank. The whole crew ended up surviving. Roberto then took a cannon from one of the gunboats that had been commissioned to track him down. The Anne then became Roberto's flagship, and he took a merchant ship with the Anne. On March 5, 1825, Roberto hijacked a boat in Salinas. It was his last. John Lowe got word that Roberto had been spotted. He got three sloops from the Danish governor, and they left port on March 4, 1825. The three ships were made up of the Grampus, the San Jose y Los Nimas, an unidentified vessel, and Columbia threw in a frigate. If you remember, the Grampus and San Jose y Los Nimas were both attacked by Roberto. They split up. The San Jose's y Los Nimas saw Roberto, and they went in for a surprise attack. Roberto lost two of his crew members, and he grounded the Anne and fled inland. A third pirate was lost in the landing. Roberto was injured. At midnight, a local trooper named Juan Candido Guerra and two Puerto Rican militia members found Roberto, and they ambushed him. He was hit, but he still fought back with a knife. But the militia attacked him with machetes, and they subdued him. He was captured. Roberto met Mayor Francesco Granes after he was captured, and Roberto offered him 4,000 pieces of eight for his freedom. I'm sure at this point Roberto thought that that would work, since he had so many other officials in his pockets. But I'm sure you can guess that it did not work. Roberto got a Council of War trial. Council of War trials are usually only held during battle, and usually decisions are made by a commanding officer, and they are usually only used when the situation is dire. Roberto was tried as an insurgent corsair. The pirates could pick their own lawyers, but the lawyers had limited arguments that they could make. The trial was rushed, which was out of the norm. They were denied their rights. The pirates could not use defense witnesses or testimony, and the only evidence that the prosecution had 
were confessions from other pirates and their legitimacy was questionable. The trial revealed that among Roberto's crew was an African slave named Carlos Torres. Carlos was the only one of Roberto's crew that was not sentenced to death. Though I'm not sure that he got the better sentence because he was sentenced to be sold at a public auction. He was sold for 133 pesos. Roberto confessed to capturing a lot of ships that he took. He was adamant, though, that he did not know where his current ships were and that he had never killed anyone. Though he told a newspaper off the record that he had killed nearly 400 people, but no Puerto Ricans. The trial lasted one day. A trial like that usually lasted months or even years. I'm sure you guessed it by now. Roberto was found guilty. A firing squad was assembled on March 29, 1825. The place of execution is up for debate. It is largely believed that it was San Felipe de Moro, though it has been said that Convento Dominico in Bella Arte de Santo Domingo was the place. Catholic priests were there for comfort and to hear confessions while spectators gathered to see the end of the pirates. A blindfold was offered to Roberto, but he refused it. He said, and these are his last words, quote, I have killed hundreds with my own hands and I know how to die. Fire. End quote. The bodies were buried behind Santa Maria Magdalena de Pizzi's cemetery. It took Spanish authorities another 14 years to track down all of Roberto's associates. Roberto's family was made to pay for his trial. It cost 643 pieces of eight, two reales, and 12 maravirdis. Roberto's family left Roberto's wife, Juana, with all of the debt. Juana died a year after her husband. So, what became of Roberto's brothers? Well, Roberto's brothers distanced themselves from him and the trial. Juan Francesco moved away and Juan Ignacio ignored Juana and her daughter. And that continued on for generations. Juan Ignacio's descendants ignored Bernardina's descendants. A lot of Roberto's items have been put on display since his death. His birth certificate was put on display at San Miguel Archangel Church. His earrings were given to the National Museum of American History in 1997. I saw a picture of them. They look nice. I'd wear them. I'll post a picture of them on this podcast, TikTok, and Instagram. Today, many myths and legends have been told about him. Most say that he was a generous thief or that he was incredibly evil. Some just paint him as an adventurer. Legend also has it that Roberto is a ghost now. There are two places that he is said to haunt. His ghost is said to hang around Mona Island. They say that he has hidden treasure there. Some say that his ghost is in Cabra Rojo. They say that his ghost drinks rum and sings Spanish hymns. Which, if I was a ghost, I personally would want to come back as a singing ghost that drinks rum. Today, Roberto is used as a tourist attraction in Puerto Rico. There is a monument in Cabo Rojo of Roberto. There are beaches and sports teams named after him. In the Dominican Republic, 
there is a resort town named after him. Many businesses and products have used Roberto's name to sell items. Puerto Rico's first flag carrier seaplane was named after him. Roberto has inspired many poets and numerous newspapers and magazines have written about Roberto. And that was the life of Roberto Cofresi. Thank you so much for listening to the 15th episode of the third season of History Shelf. This was the season three finale. I hope you have enjoyed learning about pirates this season. I've always found pirates kind of interesting, which I think that stems from me watching and rewatching the Pirates of the Caribbean movies over and over as a teenager. It's been nice to learn about real pirates this season. Season four of History Shelf will happen. I don't know when it will happen, but I will let you know on social media. I also don't know the theme for season four yet, but again, I will let you know on social media. A few things before we go. If you do want to follow History Shelf on social media, the TikTok is at History Shelf. The Twitter is at History Shelf Pod. The Instagram is at History underscore Shelf underscore Pod. The Facebook page is History Shelf Podcast. And the Snapchat is history underscore self. If you want to help out this podcast financially, there are a few ways you can do that. One is you can buy merch from the History Self merch store, or you can become a Patreon. This podcast is always going to be free, but there are some perks that come along with becoming a Patreon. The first tier is called History Student, and that is $1 a month. And with that, I will send out a thank you to you on all social media platforms that History Self is on. I will also choose one Patreon at random for each episode I do, and at the end of the episode, I will give that Patreon a shout-out. The second tier is called History Fan, and that is $3 a month, and with that, you get the first tier, plus you get to vote in a poll that helps me choose the theme for the next season of this podcast. The third tier is called History Buff, and that is $20 a month, and with that, you get the first two tiers, plus you will get a handwritten note of thanks mailed to you from me. And the last tier is called History Lover, and that is $40 a month, and with that, you get the first three tiers, plus you get to choose one item from the History Stuff merch store. You can choose any item that you want except for the zip-up hoodie. You can also take out ad space on this podcast. I have a gig on Fiverr that lets you do that. Also, if you click on one of the affiliated links, there's one for Riverside, one for Amazon, and one for Bookshop. If you click on one of those links and you buy something, that also helps support the podcast. But if you don't want any of the merch, and you don't want any of the perks, and you don't want to buy anything, but you still want to help support the podcast, I have turned on listener support on Spotify for podcasters. The links to everything that I just mentioned will be in the episode description for this episode. But as always, the best way that you can support this podcast is to just to continue to listen to it. And there are a few other ways that you can help out this podcast for free. One is if you are listening on a platform that lets you rate this podcast five stars and or leave a positive review. If you do that, that would be very helpful. Also, sharing this podcast on social media with your friends and family would be very helpful. All right, well, until next time, keep learning, keep loving history, and come back for next season. Bye.